0: We are starting today a, a new series going through the book of 1 Timothy. And we found out something on Wednesday night. Wednesday night we were gathered with the youth. We were, um, the, the youth community group is a bit different from everyone else's community group. Uh, we are one week ahead, whereas community groups are typically discussing the sermon. So it's a little bit different, but it's good because we were able to look at the text beforehand. So since we were starting a new book uh, in, in the youth, we just read through the entire book of 1 Timothy It's not that hard to do, six chapters, but as we are reading through, it struck me again at how many difficult passages are in there and how many awkward conversations that that can produce in a youth group. Uh, So you might say, well, why? Why are we doing 1 Timothy? It's got some difficult passages. It can bring up some awkward conversations. Why are we going to study this book of 1 Timothy? And Paul tells us why. In the book of First Timothy, chapter 3, he says to Timothy, he's like, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Paul said that the reason he wrote the book of 1 Timothy is so that churches should know how they ought to conduct themselves, how they ought to be organized, how they ought to live out the truth that they have been given in Christ. Listen to how he described the church in these verses, that the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. That in all the world, there's all these truth claims being made about this is truth and that is truth. And here Paul is saying, no, that truth exists within the household of God, within a biblical Christianity. That's where truth is. One of the things that that communion showed us today is that we have had a, a surge of growth in our church. And when there is growth, it's great, isn't it? To see people to come to know Christ, to find people getting plugged into to a healthy community, it's a great thing. But when you have growth, what you oftentimes have is not only people coming and bringing their gifts, which is a blessing, but oftentimes what you also have is is complexity. Because with more people brings complexity. And where there's complexity, there's always the danger of losing our way. As a church, we do not want to lose our way our way. As a church, we want to remind ourselves of why God called us to plant this church in Harker Heights. As a church, we want to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and what Christ is calling us to do. So we're going to be studying this book of 1 Timothy. Paul wastes no time in 1 Timothy with, with getting to the main issues in the community Right out of the bat, he starts swinging and he says why he's writing the letter to Timothy. Let's read verses one through three. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. This is Paul pleading. He is not just asking. It's not a command. It's like he's pleading, saying, Timothy, please stay in Ephesus. Why? So that you may instruct, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine. Paul spent two years of his life in the city of Ephesus. Two years of his life, two years of his missionary journeys, sharing the gospel, building up the church, teaching true doctrine, sending out missionaries from that community to reach the surrounding communities. And already what we find is that in Paul's absence, false doctrine and false teaching started to take root. And really what we find is this truth. The church is a messy place the church is a messy place. Have you ever heard someone say, man, if we could just get back to the New Testament church, we'd be all right. Have you heard anyone say that? I've I've heard it a number of times throughout my life. If we could just go back to the early church, then we would be good. And I don't want to dispel your ideas of what the early church was like, but let me dispel your ideas about what the early church was like, all right? So... So it was good and beautiful, like Acts chapter 2, the Spirit descending on Peter, proclaiming the gospel to the people who came to Pentecost, thousands of people coming to know Jesus, the believers meeting together daily to hear the apostles' teaching, sharing all things in common, a beautiful picture in Acts chapter 2. But what we find is that picture does not last long. In Acts chapter 5, when the people were sharing all things they had in common to help take care of each other's needs, you have some people trying to lie and and, and pose like they're doing that, but actually trying to hoard money for themselves, which was not that big of a deal because it was their money, but they were lying about it. And they fall dead at Peter's feet. In Acts chapter 6, there's this problem They're sharing all things in common and there's these widows who are in need and so they begin to take care of widows. Great thing to do, right? Except they were taking care of the Jewish widows and not the Hellenistic widows. And so man, now we've got to fix that and that's causing issues within the church. In Acts chapter 8, persecution starts to break out and what do the disciples do? They scatter and they run. By the time you get to Acts chapter 11, there's a quasi-denomination. Peter does this amazing thing and he goes to a Gentile person's house and he shares the gospel with all these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, which he's not supposed to do if he's a Jew, right? Eat with Gentile people. But he goes and he shares the gospel with them. The spirit descends and they believe. And he gets back to Jerusalem to share the good news that, that the gospel's for Gentiles. And you know what he faces? Not praise, but criticism. Peter. How could you eat with Gentiles? And it's like Peter wants to say, didn't you just hear what I said? Like, people believe the gospel. Yeah, but you ate with them. There's a quasi-denomination called the circumcision party, which, choose a different name, right? (laughs) Acts chapter 15, there's already a council trying to settle differences. We're only halfway through the book of Acts here. If you go to Paul's letters that he writes to the early church, it's even crazier. To the church in Corinth, he's like, there's so much sexual immorality within your midst. Like, you make pagans blush. The church has always been messy. And there's a good reason why. The church represents the front lines of the kingdom of God. It is the power of God breaking in to the kingdoms of this world, saying that Jesus is king. And whenever you have front lines, and this should be well known here, when you have front lines, it's not a peaceful place, is it? It's, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. The church can be messy. In fact, many of you here today, you come here and you're sitting here and you're like, man, I can say amen to this. And it's always okay to say amen here. Uh, but, but, but you're like, man, I've been there. I have experienced the messiness of church. I've experienced the, the hurt of church. It might be that you experienced that hurt from other members who treated you unkindly. And, and, and they sinned against you, it very well might even be that you've been sinned against and you've been hurt by pastors and elders themselves. And if you are here today, I want to say, praise God. I am so glad that your past experiences did not make you quit on Christ I am so glad that your experiences did not make you quit on the bride of Christ, the church. And as Neil said during communion, this place, this church, it is our prayer that it is a place of, of peace and restoration for you. I, I have so many countless conversations with people about our church And I tell Lindsay and I tell others, it's like I've never been a part of a community like this community. That I've been doing church work since I was 19. And I don't know what the church was thinking back then of hiring a 19-year-old youth pastor. But, you know, okay. Uh, It's like the the, the youth were my peers. Um, But since that time, I've never been a part of a church that I feel the spirit of god alive and active and the love between the saints i think this truly is a place of healing and restoration and if you're here and you bring your hurt with you i say praise god receive the peace and the healing of god here but i also want to encourage you that when you come to be healed when you come to seek restoration and health Part of that is plugging in. Part of that is experiencing the community within the church. You're never going to get fully healed if all you do is come occasionally on Sunday mornings. It takes being plugged in and knowing the different members of the church, of seeing their love and their kindness and their care and concern for you. But not only that, it also takes, and this will blow your mind, it also takes serving and getting involved yourself. It takes you stepping across the void and introducing yourself to someone who's a visitor or to someone you've seen a lot and you're like, I don't know your name yet. It takes you plugging in and, and serving, if not here, then serving the kingdom of God in your home. We're serving the kingdom of God at work. We, uh, in our family, we y'all, y'all know my family's story. If you've been here a while, that, that my father recently suffered a stroke this past year. And when they say that, whenever you suffer a stroke, that you your 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 brain has been hurt, has been damaged, and that they say you can get some of your movement back, you can get some of your strength and some of your agility back. But the only way you can get that back is if you exercise those movements, if you exercise and, 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 and try to, to stretch and, and build those muscles and make those connections in your brain again. The only way we can get to true healing is if we put our hand to the plow of the kingdom of God and work and strive for his glory. And it's in the work that we can finally finish that healing. The Apostle Paul wrote Timothy about the church in Ephesus because the church in Ephesus was a messy place. False teaching had taken root and there's good evidence that this false teaching was coming from some of the leadership themselves. We see an indication of that in verse 7. It says they want to be teachers of the law although they don't understand what they're saying. Or about what they're insisting on. There's indication that some of the false teaching was coming from the leaders. And Paul is pleading with Timothy saying, listen, the church is the foundation, the pillar of truth. It's the front lines of the kingdom of God. We have to protect that which we have. Why? Because of this truth. That doctrine makes a difference. Doctrine makes a difference. When Paul wrote the church, well, he didn't write the church. He he was with the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Paul, on his missionary journey, knew that he was called to go to Jerusalem. And he knew that when he went to Jerusalem, what awaited him was persecution and chains. He knew that was going to happen. And so he is talking with the elders in Ephesus, and this is what he tells them. Be, and this is Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers. Shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Paul says, that savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number. It's like Paul was almost prophesying, like, I know leaders are going to come up from your own number. And what are they going to do? They're going to distort the truth and lure disciples into following them. Using that image of a fishing lure, it looks good. It looks sparkly. It looks tasty. But man, when you take a hold of this false teaching, you're caught and you're drug away. Bad doctrine draws people away from Jesus, his truth, and his mission. Listen to what Paul writes in verses 3 through 4. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than, listen to this, Rather than God's plan. So, false teaching leads to speculations. False teaching leads to, to, to endless conjecturing that takes us away from God's plan. Bad doctrine leads us away from God's plan. It's interesting. That when Timothy wrote this, and and Neil will get into this more next week when he finishes out much of the chapter. But but the false doctrine that they're talking about has to do with how they understood the law. The law, uh, in the way that they were understanding and teaching the law falsely, basically said this. That if you want to be accepted by Jesus, you have to meet and you have to work the law out in your life. You have to meet these certain requirements. And that is how you will receive the grace and mercy of God. And what Paul is saying is that this is false doctrine. And that if you believe this, it will draw you away from true faith in Christ. Paul told the church in Galatia about people who were teaching this to the churches in Galatia. He said this, if an angel... Or anyone else preaches to you a different doctrine. May they be accursed. They took doctrine seriously. Why? Because to believe a doctrine of works is to disbelieve the gospel of Christ. Let me tell you this. If if you are coming and you're curious about the faith and you don't know Jesus. Let me tell you this. You come to Christ broken. You come to Christ sinful. You come to Christ condemned. And when you put your faith in Him, He gives you His grace. He gives you His mercy. He brings you into the family of God, not based off of anything that you're doing. All you're doing is you're saying, I need you, Jesus. And you are brought into his family. And when we're in his family, our love for Christ overflows and it changes us to where we want to obey him, to follow him, to strive for him. Bad doctrine takes us away from the plan of God. Back in Acts chapter twenty. When Paul was talking to these elders, he said this in verses 26 through 27. He said, Therefore I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. Why? Because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. False doctrine stops the plan of God. It ends it. And in meaningless conversations, it takes us away from Christ. But true doctrine regarding the plan of God puts us right in the middle of what God is doing. It, it brings us to salvation. What is the plan of God? The plan of God is that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. He came for broken people. The plan of God is that he died on the cross as a substitution, that God poured out his wrath on his perfect son and he poured out the wrath that we deserved. The plan of God is that Jesus rose from the dead because though he died for our sin, he had no sin of his own, so he was able to conquer death. The plan of God is that we receive Jesus, not by works, but by faith. That's the plan of God. That is what Paul is describing as good doctrine that we need to hold to. It's the doctrine that we need to protect. And we, as a church, we have to fight. We have to stand for true doctrine and have little patience for the false doctrine that's out there in the world that he's talking about in these passages. This is one of the reasons why in our church we, we publish our, our faith statement. As, a, as living, living in Fort Hood, people are PCSing, so one of the things that we do is we try to find churches for people who are moving, and so we're Googling churches to different areas. We're, we're looking at church websites, and one of the things that we've seen is over the last decade fewer and fewer churches are posting their doctrine online, and one of the reasons I feel this is because is because they want they, they want to widen that, and they're afraid that saying this is what we believe will automatically turn people away. We want to put our doctrine out there right off the bat. At our next step luncheon that we're going to have after this service. We're going to hand people a little pamphlet that we printed off, and within that pamphlet is our doctrine, what we believe, why we believe it. Why? Because we believe that good doctrine is actually a uniting factor in a church. Will some people read it, be turned off, and leave? Yes. But what's the alternative? is those people who don't believe what we believe will come and then be upset about what we do believe. So we might as well just like start off this way and say, this might not be the church for you, because this is what we believe. Knowing good doctrine unifies us as a church. And we would encourage you not just to read our faith statement, but also read other doctrinally rich statements been written throughout history. Whether it be the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, read the Heidelberg Catechism, read the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith from 1689. Like, read these documents that say this is how we understand Scripture and the doctrines of it. Why? Because good doctrine encourages the plan of God within our life. We need to hold on to doctrine, and good doctrine. So we are not swayed from the truth. Look at what he says in verse 6. Some have departed from these, from good doctrine, and they've turned aside to fruitless discussions. That when we have good doctrine based off of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and his word, then it unifies us to our mission. But whenever we start grasping at false doctrine... It leads us away. Hold on to good doctrine. We've even used this as a devotional before. Many of these faith statements or catechisms, they'll make the doctrinal statements and then underneath the doctrinal statement, there'll be a a paragraph of verses that kind of they've used to develop that doctrine. If you're like, man, I need more devotional reading. One of the things you can do is pull up a statement of faith Uh, that we have, or like the 1689 or the Heidelberg Catechism. And and you can read it, and then you can read all the verses underneath it as as a way to be like, okay, this is how we get this doctrine. Because if we don't know good doctrine, we can be pulled away from the truth. What's the aim? What is the aim of good doctrine? Paul tells us the aim of good doctrine in verses 5 through 7. He says this. Now the goal, the aim of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. The goal of good doctrine, Paul says. The aim and goal of correcting people with false doctrine is, he says, love. That whenever we have someone who is beginning to grasp and take hold of bad doctrine, of a works-based doctrine, to pull them aside and explain to the them again the gospel of Jesus Christ is a loving thing to do. Good doctrine promotes love, love that comes from a pure heart. Think about it this way. If we are sinners saved by grace, if we believe that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, shouldn't that in us promote a love for God? shouldn't we who have received the love of God then turn around and love the body and love the world? If we, as the people of God, have received the forgiveness of God, shouldn't we then turn to those who have wounded us and forgive them? If God has shown us patience with our sin, shouldn't we then treat one another within the body of Christ with patience. If in Christ we have received hope and new life, shouldn't we also want other people to receive hope and new life? Do you you see the picture of what this would look like? Of a community of faith where we love as we've been loved, where we forgive as we've been forgiven, as we show patience as as God has shown us patience, what that would look like in a community of people, in a world of people where that's not the status quo. You know what it would create? It would create a city on a hill whose lights could not be hidden. And I think that light in that city on a hill that cannot be hidden would be a light to people living in darkness. And they say, man, that looks awfully good. I want some of that love. I want some of that forgiveness. I want some of that hope. I want, I want that patience. I need it. And they too can come and Live and experience the body of Christ and taste and see that the Lord is good. A community of faith based off the gospel, based off of the good doctrine of the cross, is itself a testimony to the world. Something that we enjoy, but it's also something that we must protect. Christ Community Church, let's be that type of place. And if you're like, Stephen, that all sounds good. And I believe I've received the forgiveness of Christ, but I can't forgive. I received the love of God, but I have a hard time loving others. I have received the patience of God, but man, I have a hard time with being patient with others. My encouragement to you is to meditate on Christ and his cross. There are many verses throughout the Bible that that just scream the gospel. Like in 115, where he said, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. Meditate and find passages on that and let that be the diet for your soul. Let it increase your love of Christ when you see how much you were forgiven and how much patience God had. And as we meditate on that and as we pray that and as we delight in that, I believe that something will happen in us that draws us to give that type of love to others. Let's be that city on a hill. Let's stand and pray.